blood test, ECG, exercise stress test, echocardiogram, angiogram, MRI, even I can become a doctor via Google. Uh, these are the tests that you do for testing and assessing your heart health, your coronary system. Well, our chapters in 1 Kings today are about assessing the health of your heart, uh, spiritually, morally, before God. Uh, as we look at Solomon and the condition of his heart, we are ultimately considering the health of our own hearts. Now, uh, some of you will have done some of those medical tests, as in being on the receiving end of them, and you'll know there's an element of discomfort, perhaps even pain, in order to measure what is normally unseen and unexamined. And our passage uh, may well have that effect on you if you are prepared to press in and have your inner self examined by God's word. Well, with that caution, uh, let's take a look at 1 Kings 9, 10 and 11. Uh, if you turn to uh, chapter 9, uh, we don't have to uh, read very far into these chapters to see where things are going. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and, and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Uh, the writer links us back to uh, the Lord's meeting back in chapter 3 where he met with Solomon at Gibeon. And so we kind of have this sort of before and after with Solomon. In chapter 3, Solomon is starting out. Uh, the future lies before him. And, and here in chapter 9, we're looking back uh, to what Solomon has done. Both chapters 3 and 9, God speaks to Solomon but things have changed in the middle. Uh, the author of 1 Kings makes it clear that Solomon has devoted his life to doing exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, Solomon has built, uh, he's even built the temple, but the bottom line is that he built all that he desired to do. Uh, sometimes it's almost impossible to tell the difference between someone who is obeying God's word and someone who is doing exactly what they want to do. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, in the middle of last year, I, uh, I was asked to speak at the Equip Conference uh, in early January of this year. Uh, in fact, there were three conferences and I spoke at all of them. And I got to preach. That's something I like to do. I got to preach from the book of Numbers that we'd already looked at uh, earlier last year, so that suited me. I got to meet friends from around the country, which I enjoyed. I, I got to encourage other pastors along the way, which I like to do. I got to support what I think is a significant gospel training conference, uh, which is important. Was that obedience to the Lord, or was that just something I selfishly wanted to do? Was it helping other Christians or was it just flattering my ego? Sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference between selfishness and obedience. And, I, and of course, most of our lives, are, those things are mixed in together with different proportions. 
Oh, it feels like obedience, but there's an element of selfishness. It feels a lot like selfishness. Oh, I can justify it because it's obedience. It could be hard to measure what was driving Solomon in all his building, but that little comment in chapter 9, verse 1, hints that for Solomon, it was looking a bit more like selfishness was his motivation. He achieved all he had desired to do. As we've seen uh, so far in this book, uh, Solomon at, at times has been less than straightforward. It seems that he did have heart issues. Back in chapter 3, the Lord said, chapter 3, verse 14, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. But now at chapter 9, something very similar, but spot the difference. Verse 4, as for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe and my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne uh, over Israel forever, as I promised David your father. There is a significant difference to what God says to Solomon in this chapter compared to what he said before. The Lord focuses in on the internal matter, the integrity of Solomon's heart. Now, David is uniquely described as a man after God's own heart, and the gauntlet is thrown down to his son Solomon, you be like your father David. Walk faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness. What does that mean? Well, the heart in the Old Testament is basically the control center of your personality. The heart is the home of our convictions and our passions. It's where we make decisions. In the Old Testament, the heart is, is both our thinking and our feeling. That's where they all happen. It's, it's the place where we exercise our will. Our heart is our identity. It's who we are. So to an act with integrity of heart and uprightness is to think straight and to long for the right things and to make the good decisions over the long haul. The heart is, is basically a way of talking about the kind of person we really are, our, our character. When David is described as a man after God's own heart, it meant that David looked at things from God's perspective, that he trusted God, he was concerned for God's honour. Uh, David's heart is on show when he, he fronted up to Goliath, saying, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. It's the Lord who saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. This is what it means for David to be a man after God's own heart. He's a man who knows and trusts God. It's not primarily talking about his emotions or his feelings. It's talking about his convictions, his passion, his drive, his actions. And that's what it means to have integrity of heart and uprightness. That's the challenge for Solomon. As we look at chapters 9 and 10, we're going to see Solomon's building activity, his business activity, his political brilliance, his international prominence, his personal affluence. It's all described in these chapters. But all of these things are ultimately about his heart his real convictions, his driving passions, what's actually going on behind his decisions. And we know it's about his heart because when we come to chapter 11, if you turn over to that, the state of his heart is the issue set before us. 
So chapter one, chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him away. Literally, it's turned away his heart. Verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Down to verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, my, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, we'll come to all that division of the kingdom and so forth uh, next week. But for now, let's just focus in on Solomon's heart issues. What's been hinted at over for 10 chapters is now made painfully explicit. Now, our author quotes from uh, in verse 2 there from Deuteronomy chapter 7 about intermarrying, but he, he even inserts the little phrase, turn your hearts. Our author shaped this material here because he's looking back at Deuteronomy 17 where Moses tells people what future Israelite kings must not do. Listen to the words, these words, uh, in light of Solomon's actions. Here's Deuteronomy 17. When you enter the land, uh, the Lord your God is giving you and take possession of it and settle in it and you say, let's set us a, a king over us like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. Or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. That is literally his heart won't be lifted up above his brothers. And turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. See, Just as Moses feared, there's a real heart issue with the king. So... Where did Solomon, who seemed to start reasonably well, where did Solomon, with all his wisdom, how did he go so badly wrong? Well, the answer is given in these chapters, but it's, it's not a simple one because Solomon's heart problems developed 
over many years. Uh, if you watched the news last night, uh, they, they featured a tourist whose life was saved from a blood clot that had developed in her leg on a long-haul flight uh, to New Zealand. Relatively healthy, but then she has this coronary event in a matter of days. But usually, most heart problems develop over decades. All my GP people are going, yes, tell them about heart health. Uh, Little by little, deposits build up in artery walls until there isn't enough room for blood to flow properly. Little by little, year after year, unseen, unnoticed, a heart issue is slowly but surely developing. And that was the case with Solomon. As we've already seen, his primary health heart issue was this kind of selfishness. He, He did exactly what he wanted. Perhaps you remember Jesus and his encounter with the rich young ruler. He wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life. He'd obeyed the commandments all his life. What else did he have to do? And Jesus tells him, I'll just give away all your money and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the man went away sad because he didn't want to do that. He wanted to obey all the commandments So he did, but when Jesus asked him to do something he didn't want to do, that was a step too far. See, there are moments in your life where you find out whether you just happen to be walking in the same direction as Jesus. But then he asks you to go in a different direction and you don't want to go. See, that's when you find out if you are, he is the Lord and you are his disciple, or you've just been doing your own thing. You just happen to be walking in the same way that Jesus is. You you like to live this way. It's Jesus' way. So I feel like I'm a Christian. Jesus says, no, now you have to do this. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, actually, I'm not a follower of Jesus. It just looks like I am. I was happily going the same way. When you're asked to do something you don't want to do, that's when you find out if you're a disciple. Well, as we move through these chapters, that's what Solomon seems to be like. And you can see it when we look at uh, chapter 9, verses uh, 10 to 14, where Solomon doesn't treat his friend uh, Hiram very well. He's, he's been in the background through all of the sort of Solomon accounts. Uh, Solomon gave away 20 cities in the Promised Land to the king of Tyre, a non-Jew, a non-Israelite. That could never have been a good idea for God's king. But Hiram had given Solomon quite a bit of gold, verse 14. Problem was, Hiram didn't think uh, that much of these cities that he was given. Uh, He called them useless, according to verse 13. But as far as Solomon's concerned, he got a good deal. He got his gold, so all's good. Solomon doesn't seem to mind who he conscripts to do his building work, verses 15 to 23. Yes, he he did draw a distinction between the full-time slaves, who were the foreigners in verse 22, but the part-time slaves, the Israelites that he made work for four months on at a time. He's not too fussed about that. His preoccupation is with building, his legacy. We get a little subtle reminder of that from the author in verse 24. All of this building is for his first love, Pharaoh's daughter. 
Selfishness is a big issue for Solomon. And so are the big three heart stoppers. Money, sex, power. Let's start with power. We're from our reading from chapter 10, uh, the encounter with the Queen of Sheba. It's a bit odd, actually. Uh, We can look at this as a foreign queen tripping up to see Solomon, discussing trade agreements and listening to his superior wisdom as an example of the promises made to Abraham being fulfilled. Blessing is coming to the whole world through Israel as a nation on a world stage, just as God promised Abraham. And the Queen of Sheba, she's quick to acknowledge Solomon's God, verse 4. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. Well, we'll find out next week that they're not, but anyway. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be the to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And then she gave a massive amount of gold and spices and precious stone. What does Solomon say in response? Not much. Uh, the implication seems to be that Solomon's kind of sort of nodding. yes. You're right, I'm that impressive. I mean, the silence is deafening. There's no deflecting of him saying, yes, the Lord has done incredible things. Power goes to his head, it seems. Now, you don't have to be a ruler of a nation to be tempted to pride in your power. Uh, Jesus finds... He's got his disciples. There's just 12 of them. And they're squabbling amongst themselves about who's going to get the power and the influence. And so he says, Mark 10, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Jesus turns the world upside down. If you have any power, any privilege, any authority over others, that power isn't to be used to sort of elevate yourself and make yourself better. Rather, whatever authority you have is to be used for the good of others. You've been entrusted with power for their benefit, to help them, to serve them. Solomon seems to be consumed by his own power. Then there's the money. Uh, Solomon seems to devote more and more of his energy to accumulating more and more gold. Uh, He gets into shipping at the end of chapter 9, and the result is a boatload of gold worth something like $1.3 billion in today's money. Uh, In chapter 10, verse 14, we see there's an annual flow of gold into the coffers to the tune of 2.1 billion every year flowing in 
Take that, Warren Buffett, or richest man in the world, whoever you happen to be this week. Uh, Solomon is no fool. Uh, Israel was uh, right in the middle of the north-south trade route, the east-west trade route, so that all that trade made Solomon a very happy man and a very wealthy middleman. In fact, Solomon had so much gold flowing into the nation, he had the problem of what to do with it all. I mean, there's only so much you can stuff under the mattress. So he has some large shields made to decorate his palace. And while we're at it, he had an enormous throne made for himself. The verdict, 10.23, it is interesting. Verse 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver, of gold, robes, weapons and spices, horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses, had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew at the current price. And here he is, literally the horse trader. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the Arameans. That's, he's an arms dealer in the ancient world. He's making a profit. But then hear the words of Moses, Deuteronomy 17. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. See, there is this clash. King Solomon, it was great in riches and wisdom, greater than all the other kings of the earth. Is Solomon wise? Well, in terms of human terms, yes. But this accumulation of wealth, it just shouts out that in real terms, real wisdom, wisdom as fear of the Lord, Solomon's wisdom is shrinking, not growing. There's an issue with his heart. Now, you don't have to have billions to have a heart issue with money. In fact, we can all have a heart issue with money because we can all go, I just don't have quite enough, whatever that is. And Christians are warned by the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's the love of money. It's not the amount of money because that will vary amongst us all but we can all experience the temptation of the love of money, the heart issue. It's a danger for people just like us. Power, money, and then there's the issue of sex. Back in chapter 3, as Solomon starts out in his role as king, we read Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. But at the end of his life, as it's being summarised and assessed, chapter 11, verse 1, King Solomon, however, 
loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, We asked questions about Solomon when we saw him taking the daughter of Pharaoh as his bride. We kind of went, hang on, that can't be right. Now he's added, we're adding in Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. In verse 2, Solomon held fast to them in love, we're told. This isn't just political alliances. This isn't even just about sex. It's about love. His heart was not completely true and devoted to the Lord, as was the heart of his father David. And what happens when Solomon gets attached to these women? Verse 5, he followed Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same thing for all his foreign wives. The idolatry of sex led him into multiple serial idolatry. He got himself caught up with the worship of Asherah, the god of sex, and all these other vile alternatives. And do see that it is a synchronism. It's not like he said no to the Lord and embraced it. He's trying to do both at the same time. You can't do that. But it all started with sex with his wives. Sex is a wonderful gift from God, placed within marriage, one man, one woman. Uh, The misuse and abuse of sex and sexuality has been around since Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Ours is a sexualized culture. Actually, they're all sexualized cultures in one way or another. Uh, Sex was a temptation in Old Testament Israel. Sex was a temptation in New Testament Corinth. Sex is a temptation today. And so the Apostle Paul warns Christians like this, 1 Corinthians 6, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Uh, In a way, we could sum up Solomon's heart issue as idolatry. But the form of his idolatry was power and money and sex. Sort of idolatry that's still at work in our world today. The sort of heart issues that are desiring to press in on us. Well, for Solomon, from this point in his life, it really is downhill all the way. Uh, Solomon in chapter 11 runs into all sorts of political problems. Uh, Verse 14, then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite, who takes uh, Solomon's place as Pharaoh's favorite son-in-law, verse 19. And then verse 23, and God raised up against Solomon another adversary, Rezin, son of uh, Eliad, uh, sorry, Eliada. And finally, the nemesis of a united Israel, Uh, who we'll come back to next week, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, verse 26. Another prophet intervenes in Solomon's life. Uh, Last time, back in the beginning, it was Nathan helping uh, Solomon become king. 
Wow, shut up, Siri. Uh, another prophet intervenes. Early chapters, Nathan establishing Solomon as king. Now verse 29, Solomon is being told by a prophet the kingdom will be torn away from him. And the chapter ends with Solomon trying to use his wisdom like he did back in chapter 2 to kill off his enemies. But this time it doesn't work. Which brings us to the end of the account of Solomon. It ends with this sort of ambiguous and ominous words. Verse 41, As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. And in terms of the story of the plot line, it all falls apart from here. Solomon had a heart problem, and these chapters make that plain and clear. He had all the power, all the money, all the sex, that, and then he died. Just like everyone else, he dies. The superpower of a man, he still dies. Death makes the corruption and the distortion and the misuse of power and money and sex pointless and foolish. What did he accomplish? Because he must stand before a God who will judge him. Well, Solomon's life ends badly in the Bible's storyline. He had potential, but his heart issues caused him to stumble and trip and fall. What about us? What about our hearts? Well, it's important to recognize, firstly, there are differences between us and Solomon. Uh, Not only are we not ancient kings with houses made of gold and huge harems, but we are living under a new covenant The old covenant didn't work out very well 300 years after Solomon. Jeremiah tells everyone, the problem is we need new hearts, says Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Or as Ezekiel says, I'll take away your heart of stone that's hostile and opposed to me and give you a heart of flesh that, that will work and in obedience will live for God. The promise given through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, of a new covenant, Jesus delivers through the cross, through his resurrection, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian is to have a new heart, to be given a new center of gravity for your mind and your your emotions, a new force driving your convictions and your passions, a new identity in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've been given new hearts. A transplant, a new inner impulse towards godliness and obedience. But like anyone who's received a heart transplant, you now have to change the way you live. You have to be retrained and reprogrammed. We have to fight the old way of living, the old sinful patterns, so that we can go now 
with our new hearts to follow the Lord Jesus, to live a healthy, with a clean, healthy, clean heart before our Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we want to give you thanks and praise that you are a great God, a God who changes hearts. We pray for our hearts. We thank you for a new heart through the Lord Jesus. Help us to face down the the enemies of power and money and sex as they come with temptation in our world and our lives, that we might live faithfully before you with healthy hearts that serve the Lord Jesus. Amen.